All right, guys, we are back to recording actual interviewed podcasts. Here we go with Baker Levitt. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Time studio right here in Clark Fork, Idaho. Settling back in, guys, uh, if you heard that last episode, you know I had to kind of replace everything here in the studio uh, after that truck fire. Uh, took out my laptop and everything, so I think I've got everything set up and ready to roll. And I'm pretty excited uh, this week because uh, my buddy Scott over at Eastman's Hooked me up with a guy named Baker Levitt with uh, Black Rifle, and we're going to kick off a good discussion. Baker, appreciate you joining oh, me, man. How you doing, brother? I'm great. I'm fantastic. Just had a big shipment of <clears throat> taxidermy from Africa arrive today. Oh, at really? The house. Yeah, I was on a conference call. That was actually quite important. We had one that was legal was on the conversation. We were going over a bunch of stuff, and I had to tell him. I was like, oh, I got to run. I got another call. I got to jump on and hung up. And went outside and opened up the crate and started unpacking everything. So what what was in the package, man? So I got a, a Southern Grader Kudu, a bush buck, shoulder mount Southern Grader, a shoulder mount on a, on a bush buck. I got a shoulder mount on a 27-inch, just a monster Impala. I got a shoulder mount on a steam buck, which is one of the little tiny animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a Euro mount on a warthog, a Euro mount on a Gims buck have a uh, skin on a blackback jackal. Man. And I think, I think that's it for that trip. Oh, that's it, huh? That, that's, that's all you got. Yeah, that's the interesting <laughs> thing about, but that's the interesting thing about Africa. Like, um, uh, I've been over there a bunch, and Melissa, we went over there this summer with Crusader Safaris. Um, I was introduced to Crusader by my friends over at Field Ethos. Uh-huh. And most of my trips to, um, I've been to the, I went to the Eastern Cape for the first time in 2003 with my brother. And, um, and then all the other times, which is about a half a dozen, I went to uh, a half a dozen trips over there. I stayed for multiple weeks, but, um, I think a dozen groups of hunters I've been with over there. So, you know, um, but most of my other trips have been, um, to Limpopo, which is the Northern most point of south africa like 2.4 kilometers from botswana but this summer melissa and i went to um crusader safaris which is in the bobbians region of the of the east cape and it was just it's like being out west in utah it was all mountains um it was absolutely epic she'd never been she loved it it was awesome like every moment of every day and everything we were doing she was down for like there was never a time when she was like i'm tired or you know, whatever, like, you know, she's as physically capable as I am. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And uh, you know, she owns a CrossFit gym. She's owned for over you know over a decade, and she's incredibly fit. But yeah, dude, it was a blast. Like, God, that's also like some a of the blast. It was some of the craziest weather I've ever experienced. So it, there was there's ice on the on the windows in the morning when we left, and then by like eleven, like you were first layer of sunscreen, really? and then by like two oh good god, and then at two o'clock you're putting more sunscreen on, you uh, know, and then at night it'd be cold as hell again. I kind of that there's something you know about you saying that when when I was in the military and over over in I was on the Horn of Africa up in uh, Djibouti mm-hmm. Africa everybody thinks it's a joke when I say Djibouti but I, that's where I was at Djibouti Africa and, and that's how it was there man it was like super cold at night and then you'd sweat your ass off all day uh and, and then at nighttime you'd freeze your ass off because you were wet from sweating so bad during the day and so yeah. that, it, so it's kind of like that other than it sounds like it got pretty frosty down there yeah it was awesome um it was an awesome trip. You know, Africa, there's a lot of like, you know, Western purists, I'll, I'll call them, or purist hunters that, you know, talk shit about Africa. But we hunted 450,000 acres of unfenced property. Mm-hmm. It was as wild as anything. It wasn't easy. The difference is, like, I was, I was elk hunting, uh, first week of uh, September in Utah and I went out every day with it with one elk tag in my pocket. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And Africa, it's the same concept, except there's a ton of, there's way, way, way more game species and you got a tag in your pocket for everything. You know, mm-hmm. like in fact, you got more than one tag in your pocket for everything. If you want, um, I highly recommend people going over there. Like there's people that talk trash on it, but like, you know, it is awesome. It's a different country. The service you'll receive is like nothing you'll receive in the United States of America. Um, well, it is just epic. It's it's also like a totally different game management system. And like I've always talked about it as because you're right. A lot of people talk. They talk trash about it. But. I think it's because there's like this misinterpretation or or this this wrong perception about what hunting in Africa is because it's all done through these safari outfits or whatever, uh, yeah. you, you know, guides and and outfitters and whatnot. But what what this does to, you know, both not just the economic structure of these these countries over there, uh, but for as far as the conservation efforts, in my mind, there's there's two great conservation efforts in the world and one is here in north america and the other one is in africa and the, the best is in north america yes i i would agree but the the african uh you know system of conservation i don't know if they i don't know if they call it the model of conservation there but the the system of conservation is quite effective over there and this this propaganda that's out there about how you know the these these African wild this African wildlife is is on the brink of extinction and they're still over there hunting them is is false like a lot of things that we hear you know but yeah so so the two most expensive things on the planet you know that most people know about to hunt are sheep and lions mm-hmm. and if you want to ensure the survival of a species you monetize it there's no person on this planet that cares more about lions than lion hunters. Yeah, I don't care yeah. what anybody says. No, I agree. And they're with willing that. to pay, they're, and they're willing to pay fifty to seventy-five, a hundred thousand dollars mm-hmm. for a lion. Now, keep this in mind. This is how serious hunting is in Africa. In America, if you get caught poaching, 
you get a ticket. You might have your hunting license taken away. Do you know what they do to you in Africa? They will kill you. Really? There's consequences. And there's consequences to poaching in Africa. The likes the United States has not known, nor will it ever know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like, oh, yeah. You think about like the, you think about like the King's land back in England and stuff. Yeah. They throw you in jail in Africa, dude, they'll hunt you down and kill you. Yeah. They don't play games over there. You don't mess around. Um, and then also it's interesting, you know, give me the most, you know, in, in, in your uh, credits, it was talking about anti hunters and stuff. And like Dan Bilzerian was just in Africa recently and he made a post about, I can't believe people would kill these animals, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, Dan, like, I'm not mad about that. I'm a little disappointed because it's a, a statement based on ignorance. But I, I will tell you and anyone listening that's never been to Africa, I can put you in a car in Johannesburg Airport, and we'll drive all the way to the Botswana border, which is going to be about six and a half hours. And I want you to tell me every township we go through, I want you to say hunting conservation attached, hunting concession not attached you will get a 100 on the test because every single township that has a hunting conservancy attached to it, the town is thriving. There's jobs, there's money, there's food. The people are happy. The kids are, you know, running around playing and all that stuff. You That's, drive through these towns that don't have hunting uh, concert conservancies attached to them. And it's a ghost town and it's nothing but dust, man. It's moon dust. And starving people and, and no jobs and, and an economic structure that's collapsed. And, and, you know, I've never even been there, but I've done enough homework on it to know that aspect of it. And so when these anti-hunters start attacking the, the African hunting programs and, and outfitting, out, uh, you know, what are they, are, do they call them outfitters there? Oh, uh, yeah, safari outfits, safaris. Safari, yeah, safari outfits, outfitters. whatever you call yeah, them. Right? They, yeah, they call them outfitters. Yeah, for sure. They you do. know, they're, when, when they attack them, they're, they're negating the fact that these people – this is how they survive. This is how they make money and put and raise their family, put food on the table, whatever you want to call it. it so it, it's like you're going to get me worked up before we I even introduce you, man. We're like ten minutes into this. We need to back up a little that's, bit. <laughs> that's my but job. That's what I'm here for. I want to come back to this, but let's let's actually back up for a minute and right. and talk about um, you know you've you've done tons of podcasts. And mm-hmm. a lot of people know who you are, but in case somebody's been living in a cave, let's let's give everybody a snapshot of who you are, what you do, and then we'll we'll kind of circle back to that. Okay, so uh, I am forty five years old. Um, I have hunted, started hunting when I was fifteen. Taught myself how to hunt. No one in my family did. Uh, father passed away when I was five years old. Uh, you know, played sports growing up. Played sports in high school. Uh, was good enough to play football in college. I was good enough to be asked to play football in college. I learned on the third day of college football that I was not a good college football player. Um, <laughs> com- you know, it was, it, but, but, you know, growing up in Georgia, um, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. It was like, you learn, it's good to know what you're not good at, and it's really good to know what you're good at. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I went to uh, middle Georgia and played football, and then I transferred to the University of Georgia. Got out of you know, college and um, moved to the Keys for a little while, worked on a dive boat, hung out there for a bit, and then came home within real estate uh, from 2002 to 2010, where I absolutely made a killing. Um, the recession hit in 2008, and between 2008 and 2010, um, I lost 
fifteen million dollars. Everything I had. Holy crap! I didn't have man. to file bank. I didn't have to file bankruptcy. To this day, I still don't know how that happened. How I don't know how I avoided that, but I did. Well, I mean, um, shit! I've never had fifteen million dollars to lose, so uh, that's well. <laughs> that's impressive. that's also one of the best things that ever happened to me. Um, and because it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Um, yeah. The you know the I put the deals together. The banks weren't lending money. You know. You know, the banks froze. You had, you know, Lehman Brothers crashed, went out of business. You know, the whole too big to fail thing, the first bailouts, um, and everything just went away. And I felt sorry for myself for about 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And I, um, my brother was like, you should do uh, Rep 60, Rep 62, I think, which is, is Rep 62 or Rep 63. I don't remember. It's so long ago. But that's where you basically, go to basic training and then you go straight into the special forces pipeline uh, or you have an opportunity to try out for it, but you do it through the guard. And so I was going to do that. And, um, how, how, old, and how old were you at that point? 32, I was 32 years old. Okay. Okay. So um, like I had, I was money and how I defined success prior to 2008 and how I defined success after 2008 are two different things. So I was, I mean, I was just kind of, I was like, oh my God, what do I do? He's like, you should do this. So my brother was a, a force recon Marine and he got out and he was literally starting like his first year of medical school. Mm-hmm. And he was like, this is what you should do. So um, I was like 50 miles away from Camp Blanding and they were like, hey dude, like your shoulder and you have an inguinal hernia, you're, it's, it's not going to happen. So I was like, well, I want to do something. So I started going through the Defense Foreign Service uh, Agent uh, Program with the Department of State. And I think I was like, like the, the second step of that process, and I was like, you know, if I have language in medical, then um, the whole thing will be a lot easier. So I decided to go to NYU and get a master's degree in Arabic. So fast forward to August of 2010, I'm living in, in the East Village and starting classes in Arabic, which is the hardest thing I've ever attempted to do in my yeah. entire life. <laughs> and, you know, like my first night in New York City um, – I, my, my car got towed and I was like, oh shit, man. Um, well, the impound lot is 80 blocks away as punishment. I'm going to walk all the way there. And so I started walking and I got like two blocks into this 80 block walk. And I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to be okay. Like every person here has their own problems. Like if I were to pull my privates out and walk down the street, no one would care. You know, yeah, I'm going to be okay. You know? And so I get all the way to the impound lot. They're like, you need this paperwork. I didn't have that. So I had to go back to my apartment to get the paperwork. So I walked another 80 blocks back long walk that day. But, um, yeah, man, you know, that was August of 2010. And then you fast forward to December of 2010. And I started a CrossFit apparel company called two food, um, with my partner, Tony. Wait, Donna. Wait, say that one more time. It was called what? T-P-O-O-D. It's a Russian unit of metal, uh, measurement. Your largest kettlebells are known as two-pood kettlebells. It's a 70-pounder, 72-pounder. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so we started this little CrossFit apparel company um, named Two-Pood, and we ended up selling it like three or four years ago. We did really well with that. Um, but that was December of 2010. And then January 24th of 2011, we started a drink company called Kill Club. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that was when I learned like what my, you know, next 
you know, course of action was going to be in life. So we took Killcliffe from zero dollars and 8,400 cases in a warehouse to 16 million in sales within three years. I don't take, you're not ever going to hear me take credit for anything. Like I'm not a credit guy. Like I I want to accomplish the mission. I don't necessarily give a, give a shit about getting credit for anything Mm -hmm. because people in my universe and my ecosystem, they know what I do and what I'm capable of. So I don't need you to tell me good job. I just, you know, I, as long as I know that you know that I'm doing a good job, we're cool. So Killcliffe zero to 16 million in three years. That was, that was me. Like that was my, my opus. And, um, I, I was there at Killcliffe from 2011 to 2017. And we took on some venture capital and, um, you know, they thought they knew how to run the business better than we did and da 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 da. And, you know, we took on the wrong money and things started going south. And I was like the last guy of the original, you know, people that started the company that was there. And, you know, I was like, well, what do I do? Um, and I met Evan. We sponsored the uh, Range 15 movie. Evan's the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. I met Evan and JP yep. and Matt. Um, and uh, I was like, you know what, man? Like, I mean, I'm going to start a consulting company because I, I know what I'm good at, you know, and how I built Killcliffe. And co- people had always been asking me through over the years, like, how'd you do that with Killcliffe? Like, you're, the social media is amazing. Like, you know, would you help us? You know, will you, can, will you work for us and yada, yada, yada. And so, you know, it was interesting. Like I, my, it was going back to football. Like when I'd wake up on Saturday mornings, I'd get up and run down to the end of the driveway and get the newspaper. And this is, you know, 1991 to 1994. And I'd look to see if, if I was, you know, on the front page of the newspaper. And then I look at the sports section is my picture in the paper. There is my name in the write up, you know, <clears throat> And it was always, you know, get your, you know, name in the paper, name in the paper. That was kind of like during the week of practice, you know, yep. you intercept the pass, the thing back, yep. whatever. Yeah. And that was kind of my mindset with, with social media with Kilcliffe was name in the paper. So I knew how good I felt when my name or my picture was in the paper for scoring a touchdown, intercepting a pass, running the punt back, whatever. And that's how I wanted to make people feel on social media. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how we built Killcliffe was, was all through social media and, and influencer marketing. And um, <clears throat> on January, it was January the 3rd, 2017, I started a consulting company called Digital Mongoose. And I talked to Evan Hafer on the phone that morning at 10.04 a.m. And I said, I want you to give me one piece of advice. And he said, you need to be more diplomatic with the way that you deal with people. Because when I worked at Killcliffe, man, like, dude, I was a hothead. Like, if you weren't running 100 miles an hour like I was, you're a problem, and you're, you're just – you're not on my program. Like, mm-hmm. and I was a – dude, I was a dick. I was a hard person to work with. I crushed it, and I was right way more than I was wrong, but, like, I just – I was a dick to people, like, I worked with. So I just didn't think anybody was, you know, cared as much as I did. So 10.04 a.m., January 3rd, 2017, I started a consulting company called Digital Mongoose. Um, Kimber Firearms was my first major client. Then DJ Global was a client. And then I started adding businesses and businesses and businesses. And I started consulting for Black Rifle. um, Because Evan had been, like, kind of subtly recruiting me, but, like, he knew the whole thing with Killcliffe and, like, didn't want to step on anybody's toes or whatever. He wanted me around. He wanted me around. 
And so I started working consulting for Black Rifle. Um, huge, huge debt of gratitude to Rich Kirk from Mossberg. Um, a lot of where the company Digital Mondis is is a result of him. So Richard, if you're <clears throat> listening, thank you very much. Um, I owe you a ton. But, um, and so, and then I, in 2000, that was 2017. So yeah. 2019, um, 2000, 2019, I came on full-time with Black Rifle um, in business development and then, you know, running the hunting vertical. And uh, I still own Digital Mongoose. I've got five employees that do everything. I, I'm very, yeah, very I little just, involved. I was just going to say, I just looked it up. Okay. I, I, looks like you're still yeah. operating that one. Yeah, but you will, it doesn't have a website, none of that stuff. Like it, yeah. it doesn't, don't, don't seek out business. People come to us, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it does very, very well, but I've got phenomenal employees. I've trained them really well and they do a great freaking job, but <clears throat> black rifle um, is, is, so my title at black rifle is I am the director of strategic relationships. That is my job at Black Rifle. So um, how I would describe that, that job is anything that I can get my hands on, I can have a positive impact on it. Mm -hmm. As long as the team working on whatever that is, is sound. So if you connect me, <clears throat> and this is just, this doesn't exist at Black Rifle, but like if you put me in a group of people that I would describe as, for lack of a better phrase, losers. I do not do well with, 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 with low achievers, low energy, low T people. I don't, I, I don't mm -hmm. do well at all. You put me on a team with winners and like the sky's the limit with what we can accomplish. Um, I know my strengths. I focus on my strengths and I let people do their jobs and I let people, um, do the things that they're good at. So like, for example, at Black Rifle, like Maude, who's amazing at his job, or John Phillips, or Michael Shea, or Jericho Denman, I make their jobs, I add tremendous value to their jobs because I, I do not, under any circumstances, question what they're doing. So um, that's, I, it's strategic relationships, like how we work with this person, how we work with that person. <clears throat> um, Who's who in the zoo? Who are we supposed to be talking to? Who are we not supposed to be talking to? Like, why are you tagging that person? You know, this person's off limits. This person's persona non grata. These are all of our allies. These are our assets. This is who we work with. Blah, 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 blah. Like a ton of stuff comes across my desk like every day. Mm -hmm. um, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I've been with Black Rifle since Black Rifle was basically a year old. Um, and... Um, I remember, I remember those days. It's crazy to think back. Like black, I I was one of like the first followers of Black Rifle Coffee Company because you know I'm a veteran and 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 they had the uh, the the kick ass videos back in the day, you know, and they're they're just starting up and um it, it was just a cool thing to watch it go from from that to what it is now. And I'm talking to a dude yeah. that was involved in all that, so it, it's it's yeah, cool, so it's, man. It's it's been an interesting. Um, experience for me because like i'm a team player you know like i'm a spoke in a wheel i mean granted sometimes you know a lot of times i can carry the weight of four spokes but like it's interesting like you mentioned the early days of black rifle and like everything evolves 
like if you don't evolve, your podcast evolves, your hunting skills evolve. Like mm-hmm. every you evolve as a, as a as a you know a father, a husband, you know what have you. And Black Rifle has evolved, and it's evolved for the better. Like those like early day videos, you know they they were funny as hell back oh, yeah. in the day. Yep. But I don't necessarily think that that type of humor would be as funny today. Sure. So well, the it was humor so, and the content so had unique. to evolve. It was so unique back then and now you got a lot of people trying to mimic some of the marketing strategies yeah. of of black rifle back then and so it's like i i don't know if it's it's not that it's not as funny it's it's like we've seen it we it's it, you, you know what i mean yeah. um so yeah the sequel's yeah. not quite as good exactly you know what exactly I mean? yeah. the sequel's not that good yeah but um sure. so, so that's what i do with black rifle you know like i got um you know, I bought Evan and Matt and Logan their first bows for selfish reasons. You know, like I plant, I'm a farmer, dude. I plant seeds and I watch them grow. I germinate them and I water them and, I, you know, make sure they get sunlight and all that stuff. But like I bought Evan, Matt, Logan, their first bows. Uh, Sitka put out a film called Place of Peace <clears throat> with a third group guy named Bobby Farmer. And um, super bad PTSD, you know lot of crazy shit overseas and uh he was gonna kill himself one night and was like well i need to go you know close the garage and turn the light off you know and he walks out and there's this old bow he picks it up one arrow starts shooting it into a hay bale shoots the arrow into the hay bale walks and pulls it out goes back and does it all night long and doesn't kill himself and just gets into archery and hunting and all that stuff and he called it therapy 20 paces at a time and that really resonated with me and i was like evan matt like you guys gotta watch this freaking video man because it was i think it was it was sloan brown that's how he and i met it was it back i think it was backbone media maybe that's the name of the people that i'm not that sure yeah it. i think there's backbone media is they produced it and shot it and all that stuff with brad christensen was involved from sitka and like i was like man you guys gotta watch this this thing's heavy duty and so like i got on their bows and they started shooting and you know and now you know five years later where the title sponsored the total archery challenge mm-hmm. and every one of them hunts and every one of them's killed elk with their bow. Like, and then we were, we were at the total archery challenge in, uh, um, in Utah, like the year before last summer before this past summer. And Evan's like, man, he's like, who would have thought dude, like you bought us our first bows like four years ago. And now here we are the title sponsor. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that was done. On, that was done on purpose. He's like, what? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you think? Like, you think I thought you had PTSD or something? Shit, no, man. Like, I got you the bow because I want you to get into hunting because the more stuff you do and the more you understand that vertical, the more I'm allowed to do. And he's like, all right, fair enough. That's that yeah. a good job. So well, it's a great dynamic but, uh, or demographic for, for uh, the brand, too, you know? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, listen, show me a hunter outside the state of Utah that doesn't drink coffee, and uh, I'll give you 20 bucks. Yeah, like, most of my buddies in Utah even drink coffee, and they're they're Mormon. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't probably don't tell anybody. They don't tell but, anybody. Um, I just, I just read yeah. them out. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like you know, like coffee in the blind, like you know, duck hunting or mm-hmm. you know, coffee for you, you know, in the morning around a fire. Like I don't think you can beat it. Like it's one of those things. Like it, it's a leveler. Like it, it just kind of like levels. You get up. You did probably hike your ass off the day before. You're tired. You're sleepy, or or whether you're at home, you know, you're not hunting. Whatever. Like that first cup of coffee, that first good good sip. Like it's just nothing quite like it. Yeah, you know, I I love those uh, the, the instant packets. I I bought this giant box. I think that was like two or three years ago from Black Rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I still have, I, I think I still have like three packets left, but I, I throw them in my pack and there's something just rejuvenating about it. And not because it's like, you know, something caffeinated. It's, it's just something hot to drink after you've, you've humped up the mountain, however many miles, uh, you break out the jet boil and, and make a, a hot cup of coffee while you're sitting there glassing or whatever you're doing. Um, my only complaint is they don't have the ding string to pull them out of the, the, the fluid. And maybe they've oh, changed the, that since. Are you talking about the steep bags? Yeah. The, 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 the bags that yeah. you drop it like a tea yeah. bag kind of thing. So Push them down to the bottom and drink them. Is that what you do? You don't take them out? Yeah. That's how I do it. Okay. Well, um, but you know, it's interesting. Like there, it, it's, it's a, like hunting. There's a process. Mm-hmm. And I think that most people that are into you know, high level things, they're, they, they like processes, mm-hmm. systems and processes. So you hike your butt up the top of a mountain and what do you do? You break out the jet wall. There's a process there. Yep. It's like the hero's journey. It's like, I'm going to do this. And at the end of this thing, I'm going to have this delicious hot cup of brown water that I'm going to drink. Yep. And it's going to make me not tired. Like, and it's just kind of rejuvenating. That's, it's a process. I mean, that's, that's part of it. That's, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so, you know, they got into hunting, and uh, Logan and I have hunted all over the place together. Um, and, you know, Evan got big time into elk hunting, and then we, we got a, a company uh, thing at Deseret, which has been awesome. Um, I actually got to hunt Deseret for the first time this year, uh, which was which was pretty rad. Yeah, you were down there with my buddy Dirk, man. Yep, that absolutely was, man. I, um... Like, so that was my, that, that was my eighth elk hunt, mm-hmm. eighth elk. So I am batting a thousand. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice work, man. That, that, and that's a great spot. I know, I know the Deseret, uh, fairly well. I've never hunted it, but I, I, I know it. And, uh, cause I, I'm actually originally from Utah. That's where I grew okay. up. And so um, I, I know the country pretty well, but Dirk had great things to say about it. It, it look, he, got a, he got a badass bull down there. Uh, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen the bull. Uh, let me, I've got your Instagram pulled up here. Which is one of those bulls from Deseret? The, yeah, there's that, one from Deseret on there, and there's one from the Hill Ridge. That's got to be the Deseret bull right there because of the country behind you. And then you've well, got, also, they don't. They don't grow them as big at the desert as they do the hill ranch. So there's a there's a there's a picture of me on the back of a truck. That's Deseret. Yep. The next photo is right after I shot that bull at Deseret, and then the photo after that that's the hill ranch. That's a monster. That's those are that. Yeah, that big, and, um, big sucker. What did he score, man? Do you know? Three eighty one. Three eighty one. There is only one call company here at the Western Huntsman, and that is Phelps Game Calls, born out of hunting. And the necessity to make the best calls on the market, Jason Phelps started this company in his garage back in 2009. And now he's got some of the finest lineup of elk calls, turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl calls available on the market. If you guys go to the website, check it out and get what you need. And if you're in the market, when you go to checkout, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert level calling skills, Check it out at Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Hoffman Boots is a fourth-generation-owned boot company, a family of shoemakers based in North Idaho. 
I've been sporting a pair of Hoffmans for close to a decade, and I really like the Hoffman Explorer in the 8-inch. It's the best boot out there, so check it out at hoffmanboots.com, and you'll see the whole lineup of hunting boots and lineman boots and pack boots and everything else right there on the website. And if you choose to purchase a pair of boots, make sure you use the promo code all caps lock Huntsman 10 for 10% off. Scree Gear, extreme high performance hunting attire and gear that is scientifically tested, complete layering systems, and some of the finest merino wool products to keep you warm and comfortable. And it's all backed by a great company. What I really like about Scree is if you go to the website, they have these bundle options like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle, all that stuff that'll get you completely outfitted for your favorite hunt. The starter bundle is a really good deal. Make sure you check that out. They've got the VIP sizing guarantee. And so you can exchange something if it doesn't fit right at absolutely no charge to you guys. It's a great warranty, great company. And at checkout, as always, use promo code the Western Huntsman for 15% off and free shipping. The Elk Collective, folks, the best investment you can make when it comes to hunting is what's between your ears. Having elk knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while versus those who notch a tag every single year. So go to the Elk Collective and sign up. There's over 150 videos in this online course to teach you everything you need to know by some of the best experts to ever enter the elk woods. It's a great program at a great price, guys. And if you use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, you're going to get 20 bucks off of your entire course. So instead of 89 bucks, you'll get it for $69. And now that September is over and we're into October and November and all these fall hunts, if you get it now, you're going to have an entire year to go through all this course. And believe me, you're going to need it. There's so much content in there. So check it out and use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word. Last but not least is Tacticam. Guys, you know I've been using Tacticam for a very long time. I really like my Tacticam 5.0s. I like my Tacticam in the wide lens, so you can get that kind of wider angle and shot. Uh, the, they've upgraded now. They've got the Tacticam 6.0, which is super cool. I can't wait to get mine. And also the cell cams. Don't forget about the Tacticam Reveal cell cams. They've got a bunch of different series of these things, and I've got them all over my property, so I know what's going on at all times. Whether I got a bear that's coming after my chickens, or if I have an intruder down at the driveway, or if I have a giant monster whitetail buck over in my hunting spot i know what is going on at all times i love my tacticam reveals guys check it out at tacticam.com let's get back to the show here we go Jeez, dude. the deseret bull the deseret bull was like 320 and some change mm-hmm. um but like you know here's the thing about deseret like you'll hear a lot of people dude like they talk shit about people that hunt private ranches all right and I have a lot to say about that. Well, let's, um, t- let's talk about that because that's what this show's about, man. I want to solve problems because that one of the biggest, in my mind, one of the biggest issues we have as hunters in, in terms of looking at our future and, and mm-hmm. looking down the road, not, not next year, but like 10 years from now or 30 years from now, my kids' future, my grandkids, the, the, we, we have all these issues facing us as hunters from anti-hunting groups to these, you know, public lands issues, access issues, uh, all these things that, because I'm not a dude that can afford to go hunt a ranch. 
Uh, and, and so I know I know where some of the animosity comes from people that have the the ability to go hunt a, hunt a ranch. But I think that, like we were talking about Africa, some of the, the, the perceptions are wrong about what that actually looks like on the ground. And so the, the point is, is we as hunters waste a lot of damn time fighting amongst ourselves about, oh, you're hunting a private ranch versus public land, or you're hunting, a, you're doing a guided hunt versus a, a you know, a DIY hunt, uh, over the counter unit versus a draw tag unit, all these things that, and then it gets even more it gets even more intense from you know bow hunting to rifle hunters to muzzle loader hunters fighting against each other the the point is mm-hmm. as hunters we've all got the same goal we've got the same goal we want that adventure we want we want the meat in the freezer we want the trophy on the wall we're after the same things but there's different ways of going about it so what what you said you you have a lot of things to say to the people that talk smack I, about uh hunting ranches let's talk about it yeah can i can I cuss? Oh, d- dude, yeah, this is a Western Huntsman. Fuck, you can say whatever okay, you want. Okay, so here's here's <laughs> my take on here's my take on people that criticize people that hunt private ranches. And I want everyone that's listening to this. This is from my soul. I mean this with every fiber in my body. Okay, mm-hmm. go fuck yourself. I mean that more than anything I've said on this podcast. So. Let's take Evan Hafer, for example. Evan Hafer, all right, Evan hunts private ranches. Let's take a look at Evan Hafer. Mm-hmm. So Evan Hafer was a part of the invasion of Iraq as a very, very, very young Green Beret, all right? He was a Green Beret, and he worked for the CIA, all right? Mm-hmm. He got out, and he started Black Rifle Coffee in 2014. That is a $2 billion company. Evan didn't have any money. He grew up poor, not poor. He grew up, his father, <clears throat> raised by his dad, I would say middle class at best, lower middle class, taught him hard work. Evan has sacrificed tremendous amounts for this country, all right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <clears throat> Doesn't ask for shit in return. But Evan started a company with no money. I think he had 1800 bucks, and it's worth two, it's a $2 billion company, publicly traded company now. Yeah. All right. Evan employs 913 people. Over 60% of them are veterans, all right? So someone is telling me that a guy like that deserves someone else's animosity because he doesn't have time to go do it yourself over the counter and spend weeks glassing and spotting and scouting and all that shit. No, fuck those people. Like Evan Hafer, it's a free country. Evan Hafer, myself, I can do whatever I want to do. I don't break the law. And I guarantee you that these people that like complain about guys that hunt ranch, hunt ranches, I can bet whatever you want to bet that I, with the amount of money that I've spent, is there's way more to conservation than what they've done, okay? So, <clears throat> like, if I want to go spend $18,000 to kill that big-ass bull at the Hill Ranch, why does anyone care? The Hill Ranch, if Bobby Hill was in charge of the state of Colorado's wildlife, it would all look like the Hill Ranch, okay? Yeah. So, like, that's, that's, like, the thing that, like, it just pisses me off. It's like, oh, man. Like, is that private or public land? No, dude, that was private. I hunted, I killed a bull at Deseret this year. That was private. Last year was the Hill Ranch. The year before that was uh, Wailote in New Mexico. All right? Before that was the Motherwell Ranch. But the four bulls before that, by myself, over-the-counter tags with a bow. Mm-hmm. I killed, the first four elk I killed were with a bow on public land on the first day. It's not hard. 
it's not it's not hard. But like, dude, I work my ass off. I have sacrificed a tremendous amount of time and like re- like relate like m- relationships suffer at times. So like, you ask Melissa. Like, there are times when I'm in the room, but I'm not here because I'm working so much. So we can afford to do things like that. And someone wants to criticize like how I do things. Like, dude, get out of here. Like, okay, like it's okay to work hard and be successful and make money and then spend your money however you want to without being judged by someone, one, that's never met you and two, will never accomplish a fraction of what you've accomplished in life. And because of that, they're pissed off and they make these shitty comments. Mm-hmm. Now, these other little motherfuckers that want to talk about like, yo, man, is that bow or rifle? Yeah. It was with a rifle. Why does it matter? And I'll tell you who's to blame for that shit. So, like. There is only one call company here at the Western Huntsman, and that is Phelps Game Calls. Born out of hunting and the necessity to make the best calls on the market, Jason Phelps started this company in his garage back in 2009. And now he's got some of the finest lineup of elk calls, turkey calls, predator calls, waterfowl calls available on the market. If you guys go to the website, check it out and get what you need. And if you're in the market, when you go to checkout, use promo code Huntsman10 for 10% off. Whether you're just getting started or have expert level calling skills, check it out at Phelps Game Calls. Get them close. Hoffman Boots is a fourth-generation owned boot company, a family of shoemakers based in North Idaho. I've been sporting a pair of Hoffmans for close to a decade, and I really like the Hoffman Explorer in the 8-inch. It's the best boot out there, so check it out at hoffmanboots.com, and you'll see the whole lineup of hunting boots and lineman boots and pack boots and everything else right there on the website. And if you choose to purchase a pair of boots, make sure you use the promo code all caps lock Huntsman 10 for 10% off. Scree Gear, extreme high performance hunting attire and gear that is scientifically tested, complete layering systems, and some of the finest merino wool products to keep you warm and comfortable. And it's all backed by a great company. What I really like about Scree is if you go to the website, they have these bundle options like the elk bundle or the whitetail bundle or the turkey bundle, all that stuff that'll get you completely outfitted for your favorite hunt. The starter bundle is a really good deal. Make sure you check that out. They've got the VIP sizing guarantee and so you can exchange something if it doesn't fit right at absolutely no charge to you guys it's a great warranty great company and at checkout as always use promo code the western huntsman for 15 percent off and free shipping the elk collective folks the best investment you can make when it comes to hunting is what's between your ears having elk knowledge is what separates those who succeed every once in a while versus those who notch a tag every single year. So go to the Elk Collective and sign up. There's over 150 videos in this online course to teach you everything you need to know by some of the best experts to ever enter the Elk Woods. It's a great program at a great price, guys. And if you use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, you're gonna get 20 bucks off of your entire course. So instead of 89 bucks, you'll get it for $69. And now that September is over and we're into October and November and all these fall hunts, if you get it now, 
you're going to have an entire year to go through all this course. And believe me, you're going to need it. There's so much content in there. So check it out and use the promo code, the Western Huntsman, all one word. Last but not least is Tacticam. Guys, you know I've been using Tacticam for a very long time. I really like my Tacticam 5.0s. I like my Tacticam in the wide lens so you can get that kind of wider angle and shot. Uh, the, they've upgraded now. They've got the Tacticam 6.0, which is super cool. I can't wait to get mine. And also the cell cams. Don't forget about the Tacticam Reveal cell cams. They've got a bunch of different series of these things, and I've got them all over my property so I know what's going on at all times. Whether I got a bear that's coming after my chickens, or if I have an intruder down at the driveway, or if I have a giant monster whitetail buck over in my hunting spot, I know what is going on at all times. I love my Tacticam reveals, guys. Check it out at Tacticam.com. Let's get back to the show. Here we go. This whole little like army of shitheads, like this local war, like mindset, like do it yourself, over the counter, you know, backcountry hunters and anglers shit, you know, and like <clears throat> that whole group, that whole group of people, that whole thing, like you're doing something wrong if you're not hunting on public land. Yeah, you know, I, I would right. agree. I, I would agree. A lot of it did come from from that that little uh, that little club. Um and and so the the all of it though all of it Baker is unnecessary like like I don't oh, want completely. You, I, I don't I don't want you to be mad at public land hunters and I don't want public land hunters to be mad at you I don't th- this is this is where we get into a shitstorm of of where hunting could get flushed down the toilet and and it doesn't matter if you're a public land hunter or a private ranch hunter we're all going down the drain it it doesn't matter and so there shouldn't be. I feel like you've got some animosity towards those guys. And, no, no, and, not at all. And I, no, no, I, not I just at all. don't want anybody to have animosity because we we all have one big fucking enemy, and that's called the anti-hunting movement. And, and no, no, I don't have any. Like, listen, dude. Like, here's the deal, man. Like, I know guys. Like, there are dudes that hunt. All they hunt is public land. That's that's their thing. That's what they want to do. That's what they like to do. Like Brian Barney from Eastman's. Mm-hmm. Like that dude's like seventy percent on public land. Oh, yeah. Like, he is a, he's a machine. Yeah. I, 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 here's the thing. Like, I'm not that good of a hunter. Like, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not no, either, man. I'm not either. No, but I'm, but like, I've listened to, I've hunted public land. Mm-hmm. Like, my, I, I like to, like, I don't have time to scout. I don't have time. Like, I, dude, I live in Florida, man. Like, it, it's, there's no mountains here. Like, yeah. so for me, it's like, okay, I can spend, you know, Ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, whatever it is on the elk tag, and go hunt an awesome place, have an awesome experience. Here's the cool thing about Deseret this year, all right? So of those eight, this is elk eight this year. The six elk before that, the six before that were all like first day kills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, my, I've had tremendous success with elk hunting, but dude, like, I don't really know much about it. Like, you know, like if you, I don't want to sound like a cocky ass, but like. I don't think elk hunting is that hard. You find the elk, they're pretty easy to kill. They're huge deer, all right? Yeah. And, like, the thing about Deseret, dude, was, like, I had so many awesome interactions with elk that just weren't shooters. It's like I was there a whole week. I killed on day three, and then I spent the, the rest of the trip going out with my friends. And I had this amazing 
phenomenal experience. Honey elk, like it, it was just, it was awesome. Dude, I, I'll I bet, had a great time. I'll bet they talk like, I'll bet they talk like crazy on that ranch. Just, so, just the nature of it. The, I, you know what I mean? The first three days, the first three days, man, it was a heat, heat wave. They said it's the hottest they've ever seen it there in September. It oh, was really? brutal. Oh yeah. Now day three that morning, I'm sorry, day one, day two, first, first two days, it was miserable. The third morning was cool. It cranked up mm-hmm. uh, and then it got hot again. But like the rest of the trip, dude, it was just, it was super vocal. It was amazing. But like, that was awesome for me. Like, and I would not have had that experience, you know, yeah. if I had just been wandering around in the woods by myself, like I'm, I'm playing, like I'm behind the eight ball here. Like, dude, like I said, I'm 45 years old and I've only been doing, I've only been chasing elk for you know eight years, yeah. but like, I don't have a, I don't have any problem in the world with, with anyone that hunts public land. I don't have a problem if you hunt private land and I don't have a problem if you hunt high fence or Africa or wherever. The problem that I run into is when you don't own what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So for example, Africa hunting, when people try to portray it as this hard, challenging thing, Africa is a layup. Okay. Super easy, super fun. All right. Like public land hunting, do it yourself, all that stuff, man. Very impressed with those guys. Like, they have a ton to, of information to share with people. Like, I think it's admirable, and I admire those guys. Um, people that, like, if you're going to go, you know, if you want to, uh, to quote Field Ethos, like, if you want to buy a property and put a fence around it and name the deer in there and then go shoot them, that's fine with me. I don't want to, but you can, and that's cool. However, don't be some dipshit and act like it's, you know, not high fence. Like, own your shit. So, Man, like, I don't have a problem point. with anybody That's a good hunting. point. Yeah, own it. Own it. Yeah, that's 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 all anybody asks. Like, don't try to like, do don't do it for Instagram. Yeah. Like, I think I think we're you know, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of sucking it up for a lot of hunters is like social media, because social media is a platform that allows someone that's having a shitty day to make try to make someone else have a shitty day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like must be nice hunting a private ranch. It's like, what do you mean must be nice? How do you think I got to where I am to where I can do that? You think it was easy? Yeah. It wasn't easy, man. Like for all the respect and stuff I'll give you for like going out and, or whoever, you, you know, the target person is that's talking shit, but like that only hunts public land. It's like for the amount of respect that I will give you for going out and do, doing do-it-yourself over-the-counter elk hunting with a bow, that's hard. Yeah. What I've accomplished in life, pretty hard too, you know? Yeah, no, it's, that, it's, that's – it's a great, it's a great way to put it, man. Uh, because that, I want to go back to the own your shit kind of thing because I I mm-hmm. agree with exactly what you're saying because you, and social media is, I think the foundational reason that this stuff happens. Um, everybody wants to look cool on social media, yeah. And and I'm just, I'm one of those dudes. The cooler I try to look, the dumber I look. And, and so I just, I, I'm just totally God, honest about. Here. You know, I'm totally honest. I I would disagree with your statement that elk hunting is easy because where like where where that's going to be super dependent as to where you're at um absolutely i struggle with it i I, and i that is my number one hunt it's my number one focus and i i struggle with it and i i really commit to it i don't always Mm -hmm. tag out um i i i think but i'm also one of those dudes that I've gone on some really badass backcountry, either elk or deer or whatever hunts, and I've made it happen. I've also, 
uh, brushed my teeth at my house because I own land and walked off the back deck and tagged out on my whitetail tag. So, like, I, 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 and I do own it, like you said. My, <laughs> I, I'm a weird dude. I want to sit in my hot tub and shoot a deer from it. Um, yeah. But but I also really enjoy the backcountry hunts and and or not even backcountry, just just you know over the counter kind of tags or, or going after yeah. big mule deer somewhere. You know, I love I love all of it. Is the point? Um, I I have hunted private ranches for things like pheasants and and, and things like that. I've never I've never done mm-hmm. a big game one. Uh, but I would love to. I I would love to. I'd love to hunt the deseret. Uh, you know, and so I think people have limiting beliefs as to why these things come up and uh, like they wonder why a dude like you that is so capable goes to a, a, a ranch like that, but they don't put the rest of it together. Like you're how many hours a week are you putting into work to be able to afford that? You, you know what I mean? So I think that's the yeah. balance in, in the. Uh, that's where we have to find the reduction in hostility towards each other because I go back to the point we have a much bigger enemy and it ain't us. No, it ain't the hunters. No, for sure. And it's like, you know, like in the South, like we have two farms in Georgia and like, you know, we are allowed to hunt over feeders or put corn out mm-hmm. and people are like, you're yeah, hunting over a feeder. That's super hard. It's like, okay, well, please someone show me anywhere outside of the state of Texas where someone has killed a big buck over corn. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a big buck that someone has killed at a feeder. Yeah. Cause that's not, they don't, that's not what they do. You know, like, um, and it's like, well, geniuses that the ill informed with opinions, it's like in Georgia, resident or non-resident, you come hunting in Georgia, you know how many deer you're allowed to kill? 10 does and two bucks. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it, it's gotta be a lot. I lived in North Carolina. You can kill six deer there. Yeah, it's insane. Like the populations, are, it is out of control. Yeah, like it is out of control. Like, I know farms that have depredation tags that kill over a hundred, legally kill like one hundred and forty deer a summer. Yeah, and the and the, they just annihilate crops. And the baiting thing is is the same exact. Like I get, I catch shit because I bait bear, but mm-hmm. and, and I'll I'll get people. Well, that's not really hunting. Oh, really? Have you ever baited a bear? Do you know how much work, time, effort goes into baiting a bear? And also, do you understand, like, some people will will give, like my buddy Steve Johnson, who I've had on the show, who is a hell of an outdoorsman and just so happens to be one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet, shot a bear and he got a really cool video of it. But it wasn't a very big bear and people are giving him shit for shooting this smaller bear. And it's like, you know... Do you understand for well I know the answer to this. You don't understand the area he was at and how many freaking bears we have there in that particular area. Like every bear you get is is very advantageous to the ecosystem because the the bear population is way I I guess out of balance. There's too many bears. I've had four bears on my property right here in the last like week and a half. Like we have too many bears, so I don't give a damn what size the bear is. Just get it. Um, right. We've got to get it under control. And so, the the point to what I'm getting at is is these nuances shift per every little region or hunting unit or or whatever throughout the West or throughout North America, and and you get somebody in in, in a different circumstance where, you know, they've got nothing but um, public land opportunities and baiting is not allowed or whatever. 
uh, it, that's going to be different. But don't don't come at the other hunter for doing it the way that a works and is is effective at the conservation efforts. It's all legal, so there's no reason to hate each other over it. You, you know what I mean? Right. It, it's it's bullshit. Oh, I completely. No, I completely bullshit. agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you know the common enemy is ignorance. Like in, in on on all yeah. facets of all all the problems that the hunting community faces are based on ignorance. And that's ignorance from existing hunters, it's ignorance from new hunters, old hunters, and it's ignorance from non-hunters. Mm-hmm. The problem with non-hunters, and the problem with anti-hunters, is that anti-hunters want you dead. Mm-hmm. They are psychotically irrational lunatics. Uh, and I have dealt with them firsthand from a trip to Africa in 2015, where... Um, yeah, what um, happened with that? So, um, my buddy Eli was there. He brought his daughter, who was 12, uh, Aria, and she shot a giraffe. Mm-hmm. And the world went crazy. She ended up on Pierce Morgan, um, uh, all these, The View, like all these different TV shows, death threats out in the wazoo. There was a picture of her with the giraffe on the Sun Sentinel that had 35 million views. Like, dude, like it was. Um, I remember Clint that. Eastwood's Clint Eastwood's son was talking shit. I can't wait till I get to meet him one day. I will not forget that. Um, and it was just like this chaos. Yeah. And so, yeah. and and I was tagged in a photo of hers. This is a 12 year old girl. I was tagged in a photo on her Instagram from that trip and they came after me. Not only did they come after me, they came after my girlfriend at the time um, who wasn't even there and her family, her family. Well, like, no, they, they made like fake LinkedIn profiles and sent them out to like her professional network. Like I'm telling you, what the fuck? Like, they try to hack, that they try to stuff, hack. And, like it, it's so unreasonable. It's so emotionally but, driven. But that, that's exactly what it is. And yeah. you can't, like, when something, it's, it's like ideological with them. Um, and so I started doing a bunch of research on anti-hunters, and there's a common theme. So most anti-hunters are um, from the UK, Portugal, Spain, Central America, and the Northeast, or California. Yeah. But most of them, of them are from, from overseas, believe it or not. And, but the one, and they're all cat people. Most of them are cat people, like multiple cats, you know, and the males, the really weird part about the males is that they try to interact on a human level with porn stars on Twitter. Oh, really? <laughs> you've, no, done dude, serious, you've done some serious uh, research on this. Oh, <laughs> I promise you. It's, it's the damnedest thing. Like they, um, like, you'll start kind of looking to see who these people are. Then you kind of start, you know, following their patterns and, you know, pattern of life and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, you notice that like they start to interact with like, Oh, that blue song that really brings out, you know, it just makes your eyes look so beautiful. Like, I hope you have a wonderful day, you know, like just, you know, interacting with you just makes my day better. It's just like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like what like, you people are sick, man. Like they are sick. And it, I call it I call it the hostile vegan crowd, which is the the ones that are from the states mainly. Um, yeah, because 
I don't know what's more unreasonable, the, the hostile vegan, vegan crowd or the anti-hunting meat eaters that don't want you to hunt for that, and, and they get super emotional about it. They get super. There's no there's no data to back up this um, this whole argument for you know sustainability on for humankind as a vegan uh because we're you know stealing avocados from from poor countries in africa to sustain our vegan lifestyle but it just doesn't it doesn't add up the data's not there their argument is weak but they they make a huge impact because they have a lot of funding, uh, it's a cottage industry where they can, they, like, like you were talking about, these they can run an ad late at night, and some crazy cat lady uh, is going to pull out her credit card and donate a hundred bucks. Um, they're more organized. They're, they're way more organized. more organized, and they they exploit the infighting amongst hunters that we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Where you know we we're at each other's throats for being a bow hunter versus a rifle hunter. Um, and, and they exploit that they, they get involved with that. They, they make comments in the comments section just to kind of drive that wedge a little further. Even, uh, it's, it's quite the, it's quite the ordeal, man. It, I mean, it's a, it's a do shit you, show. Do you know who the father of, of anti-hunting is? Uh-uh. Walt Disney. Oh, really? I didn't know that. 19, 1969 is when it all started. Anti-hunting is very, very new. It's literally 60 years old. I know, yeah. It's it's super new. And and, and are you so, saying that from the standpoint that he made all these Disney shows to that kind of humanized no. animals? Do you remember do you remember Bambi? Uh-huh. Oh yeah. What happened what happened in Bambi? Bambi gets shot jumping across that little thing, you know. No, and, not Bambi's Bambi's mother, the, the, oh, the, ba- the forest yes. is on fire. Yeah. Bambi. And the hunters go the big bad hunters go haul an ass to kill Bambi's father and mother mm-hmm. as they're coming out of a forest fire. Like, dude, I'm, I have, I, I grew up in Georgia. Like I know how rednecks hunt. Yeah. I have never heard of anyone saying, Oh shit, there's a fire over here. Let's go shoot these deer as they run out. Like that's never happened. Yeah. Me neither, man. And then, so that's you know, the father of anti-hunting is Walt Disney. And it kicked off in 1969. It, and you're you're exactly right. It is a new thing, and it is only it is only. I always look at the the anti hunting movement, and and I kind of mesh that with the hostile vegan crowd. I'm not talking about the normal vegans that just choose that lifestyle, don't try to force it on everybody else, and and uh, you know send death threats to to meat eaters. Uh, I'm talking right. about the hostile vegans. I'm talking about the hostile vegans and the anti hunters. The the newness of the entire movement, and you you kind of couple that with the fact that. This is a first world problem. You don't have people in uh, starving, economically, uh, you know, suffering nations talking about how it's better to be a vegan um, because they don't have that luxury. It's a first world problem, and I don't know where it comes, if it comes from out of this, you know, extreme comfort that we have as, as like Americans. Uh, there's like this boredom they need to have a cause to fight for. Or, or what? But anyway, we went. We went. So normally, knowing knowing those people, they think that their thought process is superior to everyone else's, mm-hmm. and that is normally driven by, um, you know, like well, they have a shitty job or they have a shitty, you know, like career. They've made a bunch of poor decisions in life, and they see where they are in life, and they're not happy. However. I can sacrifice, I can come to grips with my shitty career and my shitty decision-making and the fact that I don't make any money because I'm enlightened. 
-hmm. And that's more powerful than money or anything. So I'm going to take this position of authority. My argument will come from a position of authority because I am more enlightened than you. Yeah. And you see a ton of that with journalists. Like journalists think that their thought process is far superior to everyone's. Mm -hmm. And that's just that, that that's that's their sword and their shield, and that's the hill that they want to die on. And so they're willing to sacrifice all this other stuff in life. And they, the one thing they fall back on is like, oh, yeah, I'm a writer or I'm a blogger or whatever. I have this superior thought. I'm a vegan. I'm more enlightened <laughs> than you. Yeah. It's like, you know, and, and dude, I saw a meme, you know, I think it was yesterday. I need to post this thing. Yeah, you got and a pretty said, good meme game going, man. I was going through it your said Instagram. One, it said one redneck in a, time of, of, in a time of environmental crisis is more valuable than a thousand PhDs. Mm-hmm. And that is the absolute truth. Yeah, no, totally, man. So when you, t I will stand shoulder to shoulder with any hunter and outdoorsman over those people any day of the week. Like, and, and you made a comment, like, about like putting meat in the freezer. Mm -hmm. And this is just me being honest. Like, I don't. That's when I go out hunting, like. I want to kill the biggest whitetail I can. I want to kill the biggest elk that I can. I want to kill the biggest kudu bull. I want to kill a monster eland. Like, you know, when I, when I hunt, or, you know, the biggest axis in Texas I can get my, yeah, I, that I can, you know. Yeah, and that's, when I hunt, that's totally fine. I go out. Yeah, no, and, but like the meat is secondary. Like elk meat, it's like, like honest God, dude, Melissa and I eat elk meat. I don't know how many times we eat it a week, but like we love it. Yeah. But that's not why I go out. And I don't go out for conservation purposes either. Like you heard me say earlier in the podcast, like I focus on the things that I'm good at and I let other people focus on the things that they're good at. So like all the Pittman, Pittman Robertson Act, you know, the money we spend on firearms and ammo and all that stuff, a percent of that goes to conservation. You know, I buy my hunting licenses. I hunt in multiple states a year. I spend tons of money hunting, traveling all over the place. I've hunted in four continents. I think it's 24 states. Like I spend a shitload of money doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's my, and I, then I make my donations to my conservation work. So I'm a member of NWTF, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, uh, Black Rifle Coffee. I stood up a, a joint venture with uh, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation for a, a roast. We've got a roast coming out with the National Deer Association, uh, the Sheep Foundation. We're sponsors of all that. I put a ton of time and energy into conservation yeah. from yeah. that standpoint. But when I go walking out into the woods with a gun or a bow in my hand, I'm not thinking about meat and I'm not thinking about conservation. I'm thinking about putting blood on the ground for the biggest animal I possibly can. And if that big animal, that trophy animal doesn't present itself, I'm not going to shoot a, a lesser animal. Yeah. So like, and I don't trophy hunting's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. No, I, that, that's, uh, that's, that's been a great topic, actually. I doing this podcast has changed my perspective completely on trophy hunting, especially I had Ike Eastman on, uh, from uh -huh. Eastman's hunting journals, uh, and and he has a really good perspective on it. But there, I don't think you're that much different than anybody else, man. Like w yeah. when I'm going after an elk, I'm not thinking about the the meat in the freezer or or all the money I because I'm like you, I I. I do a lot of uh, conservation efforts financially and, and, and uh, volunteer things and all that other kind of stuff. And that's great. But when I'm physically chasing an elk, I, that's not what I'm thinking about. 
That that is that's no. not what's on my mind. I I this Game is on. hunting is hunting is something to me that is it feeds my soul in a way nothing else in this world does. And it, I, right. I feel like it's a it's it's something that I'm committed to because I have to do it. Does that make sense? I'm not right. I'm not out there as, as just kind of a you know this this might be a good pastime. Like I have to do it. I and, and I'm focused. Yeah, yeah. But where it's interesting. It's interesting. Like one thing we're uh, to add on to that. Like when people shoot something and they're like, you know, man, like it's not the biggest elk, you know, but man, I'm, I'm you got a freezer full of meat. It's like, hey, dude. You just killed an elk. Yeah. Celebrate that shit. Yeah. Don't worry don't about say, it. Don't say, don't say, oh, like Bert Soren, who just, Bert, uh, dude, Bert hunted his ass off at Deseret mm-hmm. um, six days straight with a bow, like every day, sun up, sundown. Um, and like really, I, he and I were in touch. He was there two weeks after me. And he shot this nice, Super old bull. I mean, old, old bull. Bert Sorn is the president of Sornax Exercise Equipment. And, uh, oh, okay. He sent yeah, me a pic- he's, yeah, he sent me a pic. He's like, yeah, man, it's not the biggest elk, you know, of, of the week. But, man, dude, like, I put in the work, and I was like, hey, man, like, dude, like, you're from South Carolina. I'm from Georgia, and I live in Florida. Like, we're Southerners. We don't see elk. Elk are fucking cool, man. Yeah. All elk are cool, Bert. Like, and then, like, Michael Shea, who's – uh VP of uh, publishing at Black Rifle, mm-hmm. he was in upstate New York, and like, you know, they have such a small like hunting season up there, and like, you know, he shot this three and a half year old eight point mm-hmm. uh, with his bow. And he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, he's not, the, you know, not, not my biggest white tail, you know, but you know, I didn't have a ton of time to hunt. And I was like, hey, man, you shot a three and a half year old white tail with New a bow York. in New York. Celebrate that shit. Yeah, celebrate like, it. No, I totally. Yeah. I I can't say that kind of stuff enough, Baker. I I feel like like for me, I I am not a trophy hunter, even though you can define me as a trophy hunter because I am pursuing the most mature, biggest animal I can find. But right. you know, I was just talking to my buddy Guy, who does Western Contours uh, podcast, just before you and I started recording here. And and he passed on some raghorn bulls because he's after a certain animal. That's his pursuit, right? And that's that's his challenge. For me, I'll shoot the first damn thing with horns. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to shoot a spike in most cases, but I'll shoot a raghorn all day long. Uh, Absolutely. Unless if if I'm hunting somewhere like Deseret, that's obviously out the window. But yeah. Um. And and I was we were having this conversation where um. I passed on the first raghorn I've ever passed on uh, this year because there was there was a bigger bull bugling a little further out. Uh, so I let him walk, and that is something that is not normal to me. That's not in my DNA. I if it's if it's legal, and I can I can make a, a good clean shot on it. That sucker's going down, man. And I I don't I don't apologize to anybody about it. And and I don't care no, if it's so- a, if it's a little you know <laughs> raghorn four point. I'm fucking proud. So that's called hunting broadside elk. Yeah. So that's what I do. I just happened to be at the Hill Ranch last year when that monster, you know, obviously Hill Ranch is invite only. Mm-hmm. And that was a monster elk. And I shot him and I shot that elk was 381. The elk at Deseret was like 320. Um, but every other elk I've, well, the elk, at, every other elk I've killed was like, you, I tell like, you know, the first elk I saw in Utah shot him mm-hmm. shot the first elk i saw in idaho when i was hunting first morning at 7 15 didn't see an elk or hear an elk for the next nine days but i sh- smoked mine the first morning like i hunt broadside elk 
mm-hmm. unless I'm hunting on a private ranch. Like, yeah. and the private ranches, I, I tell the guy, I'm like, hey, dude, listen, man, like, you're the subject matter expert. I'm here to ride the lightning. Like, you tell me to shoot, I will shoot. If you tell me not to shoot, I'm not going to shoot. But, like, I'm not looking for, like, world class, the biggest thing in the entire world that ever existed. I want a good quality trophy. I want a mature animal. Yeah. I shot that big elk at the Hill Ranch last year. And so, like, I've got that. No one in my family will ever kill anything that big. That's never going to happen. And I've got that monkey off my back. Only thing I care about now, like ranches, mature, good class bulls, public land, broadside elk, ride the lightning. Yep. Don't care. There you go. There you go, brother. I like your style. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, now, that's that's one species. Now, white-tailed deer, that's a whole different animal. Sure. I am not shooting anything that isn't a beast. Like I don't shoot small white tails. I don't shoot young white tails. The, our farms, Jamie and Michael and I, we've worked our asses off the past four years managing the shit out of those deer herds for trophy class. We don't shoot small deer. Yeah. Now, if someone, um, you know, I see people, you know, hunting, you know, shooting what they shoot, whatever they want on their property. I don't care. Um, I'd rather, I don't like seeing people shoot two and a half year old bucks. I hate that mm-hmm. because if you're shooting a two and a half year old buck, the chances are you probably could have shot a couple does first. Um, yeah. But whitetail, that's a whole different story. Like it's, that's a different animal. Um, different. My relationship with whitetails is, is vast. And my knowledge base on that species is, is, is tremendous because I've been, chasing them for that's, 30 that's years your number one passion it sounds like and you like you know and that, uh, that and changes that, it that well i i've been doing it for three decades yeah and it's one of those things where like my skill set and knowledge base has evolved over those 30 years my my, my relationship with elk is like eight years old it's not it's not very long sure. um but the whitetail thing it's just like that's just that's what i it, it, and also <coughs> i can hunt elk i mean i can hunt whitetail from september all the way to the end of January. Yep. Oh, you guys, you, know? you, you guys have till the end of January there in Georgia. Oh hell yeah, yeah, dude. We have we have so many deer. It's not even funny. Like it's like on any given evening. So when I shot my big buck last year, which I'm actually looking at right now, um, there was 37 other deer in the field. Oh really? And it, oh yeah. What time of year was that? They are. Oh, answer that question. Then I'll ask another that, question. That was in that was in November last year. Do they down in the down in the southeast, uh, like Georgia, Florida, all that? Do they rut in November like like they do out west? So, no, ruts are different. So, this is and what I'm about to say is going to sound kind of insane, but it's 100 percent fact. Okay. The deer in Alabama rut the last week of January, the first week of February. Okay, I've heard that before. In, and 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 like. They understand where this imaginary line is, and I'm not joking. Like, because it's a different. Those deer descended from. Um, I think they imported a bunch of deer back in the day to Alabama from like maybe maybe it was Wisconsin, I think. In oh, Georgia, gotcha. they imported a they imported a bunch of deer from like Ohio or something like that. Um, but Georgia, the deer rut in like late November, early December. Now. Okay. Our rut is a little, in Georgia, it's a little bit different because, 
like we don't have those extended cold snaps. Like we'll have a cold day where it's in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, dude, it's going to be in the upper 60s, maybe low 70s. Yeah. yeah. So it's, we don't, we don't get, we have, we have, I, I would say we have a longer rut and a little bit longer post rut and our pre rut kicks in a little bit earlier. So it's, but we don't get that like blockbuster, like Kansas, Iowa two like 10 days of just absolute pure hell where they're going crazy. Like yeah. that doesn't really happen in Georgia. Gotcha. Um, we'll get a, we'll get a couple days and then it'll get hot for a few days and then it'll be cold again. And it's just, it's kind of just a very fickle weather, weather system down here. We should do, we should do like a, uh, a white tail land management kind of podcast ap- episode that I'm always interested in that part of it. Like the, the, because it's not just about the deer hunt. You, you're talking about you're managing the land. You're managing the the animals for trophy kind of you know that level deer that we're talking about. Um, uh-huh. And and there's I know that there's a lot that goes into it. But I I know I've kept you an hour long. No, well, uh, I, I'm fine. I can keep going. No, so okay. you want that podcast? Then you talk to the guy that mentors me on Whitetail, and his name is Jeremy Starks. Let me tell you a little bit about Jeremy. Okay. So Jeremy Starks grew up in West Virginia. Dirt floor poor. I mean, poor as shit. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted to be like a professional fish, professional angler. Wanted to go to college. Um, wanted to be a wildlife biologist. So he joined the army, fought in the first Gulf War, came out, got out of the army. He was a tanker. Uh, went to West Virginia for undergraduate wildlife biology and went and got his master's degree in wild, wildlife biology from Virginia Tech. Then he was a professional bass angler for 13 years. And he won the Bassmaster Elite Series two times, was just a rock star. Started a company called Bass Mafia, which he sold to Guggen uh, two years ago. Did really well for himself. Very successful guy. Meticulous, meticulous, meticulous. Mm-hmm. He is, his obsession and knowledge base of, with whitetails is like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, he retired from fishing years ago. Uh, he's like, he's 45 is my age. Um, Jeremy, a lot of times when you talk to, you know, scientists and PhDs, they talk to you as a scientist and then they dumb it down for your dumb ass. Like they'll say, Oh, yeah. this, 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 and they'll like, know what that means. Jeremy talks like a redneck from West Virginia and he puts it in layman's terms and it is the most digestible, easy information to understand. I've learned more in two years of friendship with him about whitetails than I have in the previous 30 years on my own. Man, that'd be awesome. It I'd is, love to get him on the show. For, it is. Listen to me, dude. He's a, he is fucking obsessed. Like, and he only kills monstrous, mature whitetails. He targets one to two bucks a year. And that's all he hunts. Yeah. And like he, he gets up at one and checks trail cams. He gets up at three forty-five and checks cam pictures. Like, and he just and he just bought this twelve hundred acre piece of property that he is intensively managing. And like, there's you know, there's like obsession and mm-hmm. passion. Mm-hmm. He he has this other thing. There's I don't know what the word would be. I'm sure there's a foreign language that has a word that would describe <laughs> him, but we don't have it in the English language. Yeah, I and it is dude, it is remarkable. It's, you- listen, it's I'd be more than happy to make the introduction. He is fantastic conversationalist. All right. um, Cool. He's the one that convinced me that elk were easy. And let me tell oh, you why. Really? 
Okay, yeah, tell me. Oh, yeah. So he went to Montana uh, and shot a 402-inch bull with his bow. Dang. And I was like, let me see a photo. He goes, well, I made a bad shot. And I was like, well, how the hell do you know it's 402 inches? He goes, because some dude shot him two days later on the opener of a rifle. Mm. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, how did you feel? He goes, I was physically sick for weeks. Yeah. And weeks and weeks. But listen, he is a phenomenal personality. He's awesome. He's funny. Like, I, yeah. I, he's, I'm sold, unbelievable. His knowledge I'm sold. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, one of the things, you know, you know, the, the private land, public land thing, there are things private land hunters can do to Im- in, improve the overall health of their deer herd or, or animal herd that public land hunters can't do. Like, for example, like mineral sites, like we, we have mineral sites all over the place in our property. And that is the single most important thing you can do for a deer herd is mineral sites. Yeah. Well, I I think, I think that's the thing is, is they're totally different hunts and, but, and they're, I think that there's a lot of people out West that have uh, never hunted like a private land kind of white tailed hunt, like Mm -hmm. you're talking about. And so they don't know what they're missing, but there's a lot of people back East that have never hunted, you know, the, the public land of the Colorado Rockies and, and they don't know what they're missing. And and there's a lot of, um, you know, misconceptions between the two, but you know, really we can all learn a lot from each other, uh, from the, and I know I have, like I, I, I started my, my first chunk of land I, I personally owned was five acres. And then we, we sold that. And now I've got, um, you know, just under 30 acres and there's whitetail, I've got black bear, I've got elk, I've got all sorts of stuff on it. Um, I don't really hunt it. My kids, I, I, I take my kids out on it and hunt it, but I want to make it better right. so I can learn from people like you. And what would you say his name was, Jeremy? Jeremy Stark. Yeah. I will I, make I that learn, introduction. I could, I could learn a lot from from you guys about how to make it better on, on my property. Uh, but I'm still a stone cold Western mule deer kind of hunter. I want to go up into the high country and chase these public land bucks because I love it. But my, my point I wanted to make before we wrap this up, um, on the people that are, you know, give you a hard time about hunting these, these private ranches. Um, I, I would, I would bet my next paycheck that if you called one of them up and said, Hey, I'm going to pay your way to hunt this ranch next year. What do you say? You think they'd tell you no? Of course they'd do it. They totally um, do. I'd do it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. They, they absolutely. You want to you want to pay for me to go hunt elk on a private ranch? I'll do Come it. Come on, now. You know, that's not even a question. <laughs> I know. You know what's you know what's funny yeah. is that like Western hunters, you know, like you've got like these you know overweight rednecks in the South, and I can say that because they're my people, and like they can't a lot of them couldn't do the Western hunting. They wouldn't be physically capable. But on the same note, there's a lot of Western guys that don't have the self-discipline to go sit in a tree stand. No, I'm one of them, man. I can't sit in a deal. <laughs> I, I mean, I could sit there for about four hours, and then I'm done. I'm done. So Dude, I, I would is, suck at it. It is, it is one of my favorite things in this world to do is yeah. to just sit and watch. Man, I mean, if there was if there was action, if at least does were coming through or smaller bucks, just to kind of keep me busy. Oh, I no, just, I have that. I, I've got tons of deer. Every, we got deer all over the place. Like, yeah. if I sit and I don't see something, that's incredibly rare. But like, it's funny, you know. But like to your point, um, you know, 
we all need to stick together. We, we all do. have the same yep. goals. We all have the same goals. But it's like brothers and sisters fighting. You know, yeah. like kids are going to fight. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, we've all got each other's backs. I got in an argument with a, with a boss of mine years ago. This is probably six, seven mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, we're in a company meeting, and my, my boss is saying something, and I misinterpreted what he said, and I got pissed, and I, I said some things. He said some things. It got pretty heated, and um, I ended up walking out, and he walked the other way, and uh, the one of the other people in the meeting was, was super concerned about what just happened, and, and my boss turned around and said to her, you know, families fight. It's okay. Everything's going to be okay. That's kind of what it is in the hunting space. We just need to recognize it. Because we, we are, mm-hmm. you know, we, we are, we're a family and we, we have this thing to protect. So Baker, I, I really enjoyed having you on the show, man. I'd love to get you back on in, in the, in the future again. I know we kind of, we kind of went down all Absolutely. sorts of different areas here, but I've kept you long enough for sure, man. Um, that, uh, that was a great, oh, I, that's what I was going to ask you. I know I asked you when we talked on the phone like last week, but everything's good with where you're at in Florida in terms of from that, from the hurricane. We had 18 hours of wind and rain where I live. It was just annoying. We never lost power. Okay. Like, we were good to go. Good, good deal, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So, I appreciate you coming on the show, dude. That was, uh, that was fun. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, let's keep in touch and do it again down the road and, and uh, go from there. All right, man. Sounds good. You made it. That's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Please make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Western Huntsman and write us a good review at Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.